Hey friends, welcome to The Beat Goes On, a pro-life podcast hosted by Piedmont Women's Center in Greenville, South Carolina. If you've been looking for a pro-life podcast to help you better understand the pro-life position and other issues surrounding it, navigate sensitive conversations with clarity, confidence, and kindness, and understand and stay up to date on the latest pro-life news and legislation, The Beat Goes On is the podcast for you. Our hope at Piedmont Women's Center is that the Beat Goes On podcast will bring clarity to your thoughts and equip and empower you with the confidence to humbly serve the women and men in your community. Let's get started. Hey friends, welcome back to The Beat Goes On. This month is November and it is Adoption Awareness Month and I'm so excited to have a guest for us today. Her name is Amy Murray and she is going to be sharing her adoption story with us. And today, Amy, this is my first time meeting you. So why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to our audience and just tell us a little bit about yourself. Thank you. Um, Good afternoon, Whitney. It's great to talk with you today and everyone else out there. Um, My name is Amy Murray. I grew up in Jacksonville, Florida, and went to Clemson. So I met my husband at Clemson University, and I never left the state of South Carolina. Even though I grew up in Florida, I love South Carolina. My husband and I lived down in the Somerville, South Carolina area. That's his hometown. We we lived there and raised our daughter, Rachel, but... In 2015, we decided we wanted to move to Greenville to retire, so that's how I got up to the upstate of South Carolina. Um, I love all of South Carolina. I especially love living in the upstate, though. Um, I mentioned my daughter, Rachel. Um, she is now 36 years old, and she, she lives in Georgia now with her husband, Josh, and I'm a grandmother um, to little baby Lucas. He is 19 months old uh, this month. Aww. Um, I was also an elementary school counselor. A lot of people in Somerville, South Carolina, remember me as a school counselor down there. I worked for 28 years in the school system, first as a teacher of second and third grade, and then as an elementary school guidance counselor. Oh, right. Well, that is great. Greenville's a great place. Yes, it is. I love the upstate. So great. I'm from Texas, but I love South Carolina so much. Came to school here, and we just ended up staying because we love it here. Okay, so recently, uh, we've been trying to pass an abortion ban here in South Carolina, of course. It's been having its ups and downs, and we've yet to see what's going to happen with that. But you were in Columbia, and you actually testified before the legislature, right? That's correct. I had the opportunity to speak to the House Medical Affairs Committee in July, and then in August... I spoke to the, to the um, excuse me, I believe it was might have been in August, I spoke to the House Medical Affairs Committee. No, that was July, I guess. Anyway, I spoke to the House Medical Affairs Committee uh, one month, and then the following month I spoke to the Senate uh, Medical Affairs Committee because I want this, this bill to be passed. I was hoping that the legislatures that the legislators would decide to uh, pass a bill that would ban abortion except for the life of the mother um, they have added some exceptions to it i understand mm-hmm. now to include uh, rape but there are a lot of 
um, steps a mom has to take. She can't just claim rape. There has to be some reporting procedures and things that go along Mm -hmm. with that. And I'm not real super well-versed in the process for passing this law. I've never been involved in anything political at all. But I met Lisa Van Riper, who's president of South Carolina Citizens for Life, and Lisa asked me um, or, or encouraged me and helped me find a way to go and speak to both the House and the Senate, um, something I was really uncomfortable with, but um, I felt strongly that I should do it. And God has really having has had me share my story these past two years. Okay. So what did you testify specifically on when you were there? Well, I wanted the House and Senate to understand that I was standing there before them as a woman who was conceived by rape. Okay. My birth mother, shortly after coming to the United States from England, was um, sexually assaulted and became pregnant with me. I didn't know that until I was in my mid-40s, but I, I learned my story then. Um, I I met my birth mother, Sylvia, and I'm so thankful that she chose to give me life despite her circumstances. So I wanted to share that testimony because I want the legislators and the people of South Carolina to understand that a baby conceived by a sexual assault is still a life, and it's a life that needs protection. Mm I understand that sexual assault and and rape is a terrible, terrible thing. Um, And I can't imagine the trauma a woman would have from something like that. But if, if there's another life involved, we need to protect that life. And we need to encourage the women in those circumstances to realize that God has a plan in this, that there's a life that's inside of her and, and that what happened could turn out eventually, maybe, perhaps, to be a blessing for her down the road. Yeah. So you said you were 40 when you found out um, that you were conceived through rape. What was that like for you when you found that out? Well, it was just amazing. So to back up a little bit, I was adopted in 1957, so I'm telling my age, but (laughs) adoption was very closed back then, meaning that the um, adoptive parents knew that no biological parents would ever be coming to try to be involved with the baby they had just adopted. My parents actually liked that because they chose me and they didn't want anyone else involved in, in raising me or to show up down the road. So it was a closed adoption with no hope of ever finding out who my biological parents were. And that's what I knew from the time I was very little. And I was okay with that because God had given me wonderful, wonderful parents who loved me immensely, who had chosen me. And so I, I didn't need any, any other parents. Mm-hmm. So what happened was, was quite an amazing thing. It was God's hand was in this. When I was actually 43 years old, I received a call from the adoption agency in North Carolina 
they told me that they had a letter from my birth mother. And they could send it on to me if I would, would like to receive it. Now, just a few years prior, I'd received some medical information that my birth mom had filled out for me, and it was really good to have that. So I really didn't hesitate to get the letter. I said, sure, send me the letter. So I got the letter, and it was a very sweet letter. Now, it could have no names or locations on it. This letter could not be a way for her to let me know who she was or where she was. It was just information about her. So I learned she was from England, which actually I wasn't surprised. That was one of the small tidbits that the adoption agency had given my mom was that she was from England. So, But I learned, I learned more about that, that she was from England, that she had grown up during World War II. And during the war, her job was to take care of her baby sister. Her parents were very busy in the war efforts, and her brother was flying the Spitfire plane at 15 years of age. Her sister was working as a nurse in the war. Her job was to take care of her baby sister, which she did. But times were really hard. They lived right in the heart of London, and there was bombing all around them, and their neighborhood was just decimated from the bombing. When the war was over, there weren't many opportunities for her. She was a young woman at that time without many opportunities, but she had an aunt and uncle in Jacksonville, Florida. And so they sponsored her to come over to um, the United States and live with them in Jacksonville. That's what she did. And three years after being in the United States, still in her green card, loving a new job, she was sexually assaulted and became pregnant with me. She found a home for unwed mothers in North Carolina where she went and stayed until I was born. So through this letter writing, you know, I learned about her. Um, uh, She didn't mention Jacksonville, Florida. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But when when I um, found out, Okay, we exchanged these letters for quite a while, and I'm sorry, the locations weren't in there, the name wasn't in there, so I kind of jumped ahead a little bit, but I'm so emotional when I talk about this. But after a year of writing these letters, we wanted to meet, and the adoption agency was like, no, we're sorry, you can't meet, because... We can't share names and locations. Well, we did get around that. I've so already... the letters that you guys are writing, do they go to the adoption agency first? Yes, they went to the adoption oh, wow. agency. Okay. It was so That's, weird. Yeah. I didn't even really think about that. I was just writing her back and forth. Um, and um, so didn't really think about that and, until we're ready to share names and locations after a year. Um and so, anyway, so the God thing was, I know the original question was, um, how did I feel finding out about the sexual assault? Um, I did in those letters, she, she told me she was taken advantage of. She said it the sweetest way she could. Mm-hmm. And over the course of those letters, I kind of figured it out. I, I knew that that's what had happened. 
And of course, she confirmed it upon meeting. But God's hand was in this. And I jumped ahead about Jacksonville because it's so amazing. If you didn't catch it already, I'd said that I was adopted in North Carolina. And that's correct. When my parents adopted me in North Carolina, they had never planned to leave North Carolina. They loved the state, and that's where they had always planned to live. So as soon as I learned who, who Sylvia was and that she was in Jacksonville, Florida, I was just dumbfounded because that's where I was raised. My dad's job transferred us there when I was three years old. And so when that happened, my parents were taking me back to my roots, so to speak. They were taking me back close to where my birth mother lived and where she was sexually assaulted. Wow. Of course, they didn't know any of this. None of us did mm -hmm. until after the letter writing, and then I was eventually able to meet her. So sorry to jump around Oh, that's bit, okay. No. I just get so emotional because God just had his plans in his hand all through right. all of my life. Right. So how did you guys end up connecting then if you couldn't exchange names, locations, <laughs> anything. How did that finally work out? I'm glad you asked that because that was a God thing too. So what happened, we had all these letters back and forth where basically I just learned about what it was like when she was growing up in World War II and I learned about her coming to the United States and about having a job. I didn't know where it was, but but we talked back and forth. I shared my life about being a school counselor and being a mom of a teenager and so forth. So um, when we got to the point we wanted to find out names and locations, I remember this so well. I called uh, the woman that had been transferring our letters back and forth at the Children's Home Society in North Carolina. I called her and I said, I, I want to meet my birth mother now, and I know she wants to meet me too. And she said, well, I'm sorry, we can't give you names or locations. I'm like, we've been writing for a year. Yeah. You've read all our letters. What do you mean? She said, I'm sorry, but the law won't let us do that because your adoption was closed. But praise God for her because she went around the law a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, what she did was she told us there's some good search registries out there. She named one in particular. I don't think it's still open, but it was called Soundex. And she said, you need to register with Soundex. I'm going to tell your birth mother to register with Soundex as well. And so that's what happened. Soundex made the match pretty quickly. Soundex uh, called the adoption agency to confirm they were right. So when Soundex called me and told me her name and that she was in Jacksonville, Florida, I flipped out. I said, you're kidding me. No way. She can't be in Jacksonville. I was hoping she was in North Carolina if I was lucky. They said, no, no, she's in Jacksonville. I just couldn't believe it, and neither could my parents. We were all just dumbfounded. Um, were your parents still in Jacksonville, or had they come back this way? No, my parents were still in Jacksonville, okay. so I had all three parents now oh, wow. down in Jacksonville, <laughs> so that was awesome. So, again, God's hand was in this. What if that uh, woman that worked for the Children's Home Society in North Carolina, what if she had not been willing to tell us both to register with SoundX? Mm -hmm. uh, we 
probably would not have ever connected. And I never would have learned my story. I never would have learned that Sylvia was a strong Christian lady that chose to give me life, even though she was sexually assaulted. So, Yeah. Had you, before she had contacted you through the adoption agency, had you ever had any desire to find out who your birth parents were? No, I really okay. hadn't. Uh, like I'd mentioned early on, um, it was a closed adoption, and I had wonderful parents. I had no desire mm-hmm. to know um, a birth mom or dad. I had My family was complete. I had a great mom and dad I was really close to. They adopted another child um, down in Jacksonville. His name was Bill. So I had a brother, and at this time, I'm 43 years old, I'm married, I have a 13-year-old daughter, I have a great career, so I was not interested. Yeah. I really wasn't, and and I almost didn't answer back that first letter. It took me about a month. I had to pray about whether or not to answer that letter. I had to talk to my husband. I had to talk to our daughter. What kind of thoughts were going through your mind that held you back from answering it? Well, I knew if I answered it, it would start a relationship. And I wasn't sure I wanted that. It was going to bring another parent into my life. I had a full life. I had my parents. Mm -hmm. Um, But praise the Lord, he led me to reply back to her. And um, there were a lot of different people I, I... you know, I talked to my parents. I let them know every step of the way. In fact, I read every letter that came from my birth mom, I read to my mom. Wow. Because I wanted her to know what was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, because none of us had ever expected this. It wasn't something we even welcomed initially right. at all. So my mom heard every letter. Okay. <laughs> I read to her most of my replies to my birth mom as well. So she was involved as she could could be, um, knowing um, when I got to the point of making the decision, I wanted to meet her. Okay. How did your mom and even your dad, how did they feel about you connecting with your birth mom in those letters? It was very hard. Was it? It was very hard. My mom, even though she was aware of every step of the journey, even though she had read the letters I got from my birth mom and she had read my letters in return, she really didn't want there to be another mom for me. Mm, (laughs) And I understand that. It was hard for her, and that's the part that was um, emotional and and sad for me at the time because I didn't want to hurt my mom. Mm -hmm. And it, it did for a while, but mom saw the time that it didn't change our relationship at all. It gave me another relationship with another woman, but it didn't change the relationship I had with my mom or dad at all. Now, my dad at the time, I got was receiving these letters. He um, wasn't as involved in it. He was starting to have dementia, and so he didn't remember a lot of what was happening. Um, He did tell my mom one day, I remember this really well, my mom was struggling a bit with this. It was the day before I was going to go and meet Sylvia in Jacksonville. So I was at my parents' house. Mom was struggling a bit. 
And my dad looked at her and he said, Mary, remember, we wouldn't have Amy if it wasn't for Sylvia. So my dad was very sweet and supported it too as best he could. Yeah. So they they kind of came around eventually. They did they meet your birth mother? They never met. They never met. And she was only seven miles away from their house. They never met her. My mom did write her a very sweet letter thanking her for giving me life and for giving them the daughter they couldn't have. Mm. So, um, yes, uh, mom did do that. And that meant a lot to Sylvia. And Sylvia understood. In fact, from the first day I met her, she said she did not want to interfere in any way. And she said, you know, I'm not... I'm, I don't want you to call me mom. I'm not really your mother. You're, you know, you call me Sylvia, and that's the way it always was. Okay. Um, so, what was that first meeting like? Oh, the first meeting. <laughs> I'm gonna really boohoo now. <laughs> um, it was such a God thing. So, um, I remember praying when I left my parents' house to drive over there. So. Uh, my husband wanted to go with me, and our daughter wanted to go, too. <laughs> we were all in Jacksonville, but I was like, no, I think the first time it needs to just be us. I don't know why. I just felt like this was important and sort of private. It needs to just be me and Sylvia meeting the first time. And, of course, my husband and, and daughter Rachel went on to meet her later, but this first time it should be just me. So I remember praying as I got in the car to leave my parents' house, to drive the seven miles across <laughs> town and ways to Sylvia's house. And I was just praying the whole whole way for the Lord to be with me through this and to help me get there safely. I was so emotional. And I got to her house and I you know, I didn't know what this was gonna be like. I didn't know what it was gonna be like. I was pretty sure after a year of letter writing and talking to her now on the phone um, before we met that I was going to really love this lady and have respect for her, but you're still going to meet somebody you've you've not seen before. Mm -hmm. So it had that feel to it as well. I pulled up in front of her house, and I thought, oh, gee, this was her her aunt and uncle's house, the house she she had always lived in that house from the time she went to Jacksonville back in the 50s. And I got out, and she was waiting on the front porch. And when I saw her, I can still remember as good as anything. It just, I, we, I felt surrounded by the Holy Spirit. I felt so strong God was with us. I can still remember that slow walk up to the porch and to get the first hug from her. And it felt like I had known her. Hmm. I know that sounds cliche, and some people would find that hard to believe and I never would have believed it myself but something about it it just felt like yes this is where I began Hmm. she just felt like somebody I had always known and it was never strange and I stayed a couple hours that day I'd taken some pictures of my wife growing up and and she had some pictures of herself growing up and the rest of her family and we shared for two hours, and it was just um, remarkable. Yeah. 
Do you guys stay connected then throughout the years? Yes, we stay connected. Um, she uh, was not in super health when we met. She was um, about 70 years of age, and she lived five years after we met. She died at the age of 76. We, um, we made the most of those five years. Um, she did have some time with my husband and some time with our daughter, her only grandchild. She never had any other children because of what had happened to her. Okay. She was um, 56 years old when she got married for the first time, mm-hmm. and she made her husband live in her the house she'd always lived in, which had originally been her aunt and uncle's house she had gone to when she left um, England. So uh, she never had any other children. She didn't have any grandchildren. Um, so now she had family she had never had, and we did the best we could to take care of her till she passed. Although uh, she passed away in Jacksonville, and and we were in Somerville. We were living in Somerville, okay. South Carolina, but we went back and forth, and we made sure she had the care she needed, and um, we um, planned and held her funeral. I mean, we, we took care of her to the end because we were the only family she had in the United States when I met her. She had That's no incredible. other family. Yeah. Um, she had a sister in England at that time. Her sister in England came over um, for her funeral, and actually I'd met her sister a time before that. Um, her little sister that she took care of during World War II, um, they were always very close. I had met her sister Mavis before, and then she came again for her funeral, so I'd met her a couple of times, and Mavis and I are still very close to this day. In fact, Steve and I spent three weeks in England and Scotland in 2019. Wow. <laughs> it was our last trip before COVID hit. We didn't know it at the time, yeah. but we're so glad we went over there, and we had time with Mavis, and it was wonderful. It was such a wonderful time, and Mavis has just accepted me as part of the family, and so did the rest of Sylvia's family, and they knew nothing about me. Really? Sylvia had shared nothing. Okay. I mean, she was so ashamed, and she was scared her mom would make her go back to England after she was sexually assaulted. None of them knew. So anyway. Um, wow. Yeah. That's amazing how God brought all that together years and years later. It, it really yeah. is. Yeah, I want people to know God has a plan for every life. And I'm just so thankful I've lived long enough and been given all this information that now I can look back and see God's hand and how he works and how he's continuing to work and guide me and my life and what he yeah. did for my birth mom. You know, if it hadn't been for her being sexually assaulted, I can't imagine what it would have happened later in life. I mean, she had no family in the United States. Hmm. Um, I'm sure her sister in England would have come and tried to take care of her near the end, but she had no family. So at the end of her life, she was blessed with family that she would not have otherwise had yeah. had it not been for the tragedy of the rape. Yeah. I mean, you just never know what can come out of really hard circumstances. Um, so you testified before South Carolina um, in regards to this. And something that in listening to people have pro-life conversations or just even talking to, you know, people locally, I've found that there are a lot of um, Christians or conservatives who they say they're pro-life, but they believe that there should be this exception for rape or incest. What would you say to those people 
based off of your story and what you know? I absolutely know that every life's important. Here I am. I'm 65 years old, and I was conceived by rape. My life matters. Mm -hmm. The life of of every baby conceived in rape matters. Um, I'm so thankful every day to God that I have life, and I feel like I've contributed to this world in a good way. I've tried to. I've been an elementary school counselor. Um, Much of the reason I became an elementary school counselor was because I was adopted and I knew that I was fortunate. I knew I could have ended up without a family. Um, And I wanted to help children who were also unfortunate. I always chose to work with children in high poverty schools only worked in two schools all of my career but it was high poverty schools okay um, because I knew those children were most at risk they needed help and I felt connected to them in a way even though I didn't grow up in poverty but I could have I could have grown up in poverty I could have grown up without a family Um, but for the grace of God I was given a family Um, I was three months old when I was given a family. So anyway, um, every life matters. And I have gone on to get married and have a a child. And my child now has a a child. Um, So my daughter Rachel is 36 years old now. Um, She's happily married um, to a wonderful man named Josh. And they have a little boy, 19 months old, named Lucas. Now let's all think about this. If Sylvia had not given me life. There wouldn't be a Rachel, and there wouldn't be a Lucas. I wish Sylvia was alive to know she's got a great grandson, but I'm so thankful to God that she did get to meet her daughter and her granddaughter. So babies conceived by rape are still important. They're still alive. They're a life that matters and as hard as it would be for a woman who's conceived a baby by rape, if she'll protect that life and trust God and allow that baby to be born, she's turning a really terrible situation into something good because she's allowing generations to live on. Yeah. Um, I believe every life is important to God. God is sovereign. And God can take any circumstance. He can take a tragedy like rape, and he can use it for good. Yeah. And like you said, you were a school counselor, so you had the opportunity to impact a lot of children's lives based off your story and your background that maybe those kids wouldn't have had that otherwise. And we don't know the impact that that has had, you know. Um some people would say, well, what about you? You had a wonderful adoptive family and now you've had your own family and, um, been able to have a good career as a school counselor. And I think some people would be, well, what about Sylvia? Like she had to suffer that trauma. Like what about her? Um, because I, I think people view this as like, this is, you know, abortion is a way to take care of this problem and help a woman who's experienced that trauma how would you walk someone through like that process? That's a hard process, but personally, 
I would be happy to stand by a woman or share my story with a woman who's conceived a baby in rape and encourage her to stay the course to get that baby life. Um, it's a big impact on her life for those nine months and probably sometime after. But if a woman who's been raped decides to have an abortion, then she's being hurt a second time. Nothing can change the rape. The rape's right. occurred, the sexual assault has occurred, it's, that's terrible, and nothing can change that. Nothing can but undo it. Nothing right. can undo that. Mm -hmm. But now that you have a baby's life involved, if you take that baby's life, if you choose abortion, then that's another trauma for the woman to endure. Still doesn't change the rape. It just adds on another tragedy, that of removing a life. Mm -hmm. So why not support that woman to keep that life intact and to know that she's allowing generations of people to come after mm -hmm. because of that life? Um, God is sovereign. God gives life. He allows people to help participate in it. But God gives life. God puts that soul in the person too. God gives that life. That life is special and so important to protect that life. So um, I never thought I'd be sharing my story all over South Carolina. <laughs> but, but Or on a podcast. Or on a podcast. <laughs> this is my first podcast. First podcast. Um, so I've been a bit nervous. I never thought I'd be doing this, but I think it's important. We have to talk about the hard things. Yes, we do. Um, and when I was yes. standing before the House and Senate um, to say the word rape, here I am. I was conceived by rape. That was hard, and I didn't like doing it. I didn't want to do it. I don't like politics. I don't like talking to politicians. I don't like any of it. But it's important because we've got to talk about these hard issues, and we've got to support women that are in unplanned pregnancies um, because that's a life that they have inside of them. Yes. So let's go back to adoption just a little bit, um, because obviously that is an option that we advocate for here at Piedmont Women's Center. It's what your mom chose for you. And just with the, like you said, the political climate that we're in right now, there's been a lot more talk about adoption um, in both good in negative ways. Um, so I want to maybe address those people who kind of look at it as a negative as, oh, well, this is just, this could be more suffering for the child and cause more trauma for them. And, the, you know, this is, it's hurtful. Um, I don't know if you've heard any of those arguments, but I see them kind of circulating around on social media. Um, again, like how would you kind of address someone who's bringing this up, they don't maybe see that um, it can be a good thing. I don't know how anybody could not see adoption as a good thing. I don't know. Um, I guess some people feel like the babies have been removed from their biological parents and how are they going to fit into a, a home where they're not biologically yeah. related. I guess. I don't know. Or, okay, um, here, a mom. Like, if we have women here and um, they're hesitant to consider adoption sometimes. Um, so I guess I, I guess what I'm trying to say is, like, how would you assure them that this could be a good thing for them, this could be a good thing for their baby um, Well, to, to help alleviate sure. some of that? Uh -huh. 
Well, it's a good thing for them because instead of having the trauma from an abortion and ending a life, instead of doing that, give the baby life. That's the choice, the godly choice. You're allowing someone to live and you're giving them a chance to procreate. You're affecting generations of people. So for the woman in the unplanned pregnancy, yes, um, adoption's a great alternative because she's supporting life. Um, And as far as the child goes, I can't imagine. um, I felt like I was on top of the world because (laughs) I was chosen. (laughs) My my parents, of course, are responsible for that healthy feeling. But um, we had a little book we always read called The Adopted Family, and I love that book, and I, I've about worn it out. I still have it, but as a little child with my parents, we read it all the time. It was all about how they had chosen me, mm. and I felt chosen. I felt more special than my friends who would talk about being in their mommy's bellies or, you know, <laughs> something like that, and I'm like, well, huh. You know, you just, your parents got stuck with you. you just what they got. <laughs> My parents picked me. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. That is such a great perspective. Your parents gave you such a gift with that. <laughs> that's the way I felt. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I mean, God chooses us, right? So yeah, that's right. God chooses us. Our Heavenly Father chooses us. So why wouldn't our, our uh, earthly parents choose us? Yeah. <laughs> I love that. That's great. Well, anything from your story that you would like to add or share today? I just can't tell you how thankful I am um, to have found my story and to have had time with my birth mother. As I've shared, I never planned to meet her. I didn't have a desire to meet her or a birth father. I never had any desire for that because my life was complete. I was very happy the way I was. I didn't want interference, but it was all God through that Sylvia writing that letter, the adoption agency passing it on and my accepting it, and then our chain of letters. I'm so, so thankful Sylvia wrote that letter. I'm so, so thankful I answered that letter. And God led us to do those things. Um, God put us back together, mm-hmm. and it um, it gave her such joy at the end of her life to have family that she otherwise wouldn't have had, um, somebody to look after her when she was ill near the end of her life, and it gave us joy, too. It gave me my full life history. It completed the picture of my life. Yeah. Um, and now I guess it's making or giving me the opportunity to share and talk about this. Um, I'm thankful God's given me those opportunities because we do need to talk about this. And I do want women to choose to keep their babies, mm. even in the case of rape, because that baby's alive, that baby's important. And if you know of any ladies in Greenville that are in a situation like that, I'm always happy to talk to them, to share my story, to help them. They don't know what the rest of their life's going to look like. Right. And they don't know what the plans for that baby might be. So only God knows. Right. And he's sovereign and his plans are perfect. 
Yeah, it reminds me of the story that, you know, probably most of us know here, Joseph in the Bible, where he says, you know what, God, or what man meant for evil, God meant for good. Like, God saw years and years down the road how he was going to take all that craziness with Joseph and his brothers and, like, use it to help help a nation. And mm-hmm. we just don't know and kind of what God did with your story. He saw those years down the road um, that your mom would need you later on and just the the children that you got to work with and all of that. And so in now being able to share your story and advocate for those moms and for those babies and do some amazing pro-life work. So thank you for sharing your story with us today. You're welcome. Okay. We are coming back on because as we were sitting here, Amy and I were chatting some more and she mentioned that she has written a book and that she's working on getting that published. And what's it called again? Hope for a better life. Okay. So then I remembered from reading your story that your mom had called you, had named you Hope. Sylvia had named you Hope. So that's right. So my book is called Hope for a Better Life because Sylvia came to the United States after World War II in Hope for a Better Life. But also Sylvia did name me Hope. So when Sylvia gave birth to me in North Carolina at the Home for Unwed Mothers where she was, She was required to take care of me for three weeks before giving me up for adoption. That was the rule back then in the 50s. They wanted women to be sure they knew what they were doing before they gave that baby up. And I can understand that in a lot of cases, except for maybe this case of a sexual assault, that that would be really hard to take care of the baby for three weeks, and I'm sure it was. But anyway, since she was taking care of me for three weeks, she gave me a name. She named me Hope. And before she could relinquish me to the adoption agency, she had a baby dedication ceremony for me in Duke Chapel. Wow. So, wow, that, that was all really special learning that. And I think because of all that, that's one reason when I met Sylvia that day in Jacksonville and we had that hug on her front porch, I felt like I had known her. Somewhere way back there, I had, I mean, the first three weeks of my life, I had known her. And and the nine months I was in her womb, I had heard her voice and and knew her smell and her touch. And so anyway, um, but uh, yeah, that's just more blessings. Um, Just another wonderful blessing to know that she named me Hope and had a baby dedication ceremony, prayed over me, wanted me to have the perfect family, and God sure answered that prayer. So she named you Hope, and you've written a book based off of why she came here, and it goes right along with what she named you, and you're wearing a necklace right now that says Hope, so I'm guessing that's a very (laughs) special word for you. (laughs) When is your book going to be available? Well, I hope pretty soon. Um, I actually published this book um, 12 years ago, believe it or not. And it was a rough draft um, that Sylvia and my mom both read and approved of. So 12 years ago, they had both read and approved of it. And they both passed fairly close together. And then I felt the real need to get that book published so I published it, just self-published it, and, and it was fun. I had people that helped me, and it was a pretty good book. But the last two years, I have become more active 
in speaking about this, God has given me more insight into his plans, and I felt it important to add to the story. It's still the same story I published 12 years ago, but I've added to the story. Also, a lot of people wanted to see pictures of the real people involved and to know some about the real people because I did write it as a fiction story. It is, it is a fictionalized account of my adoption story, but now at the end of the book, there's information about the real people okay. and there's pictures, and I'm just very excited about it. I've, I've got a professional publisher, Palmetto Publishing in Charleston, uh, working on the cover right now. It's almost done. That's exciting. <laughs> I've got a wonderful editor that's really well known who is, has finished editing it, Melinda K. Ron. She's fantastic. Um, the editing's finished. She's working on the formatting, and then it'll be sent to Palmetto for publishing. So we're getting close, and I'm getting real excited because I want this to be the perfect, finished, complete book mm-hmm. <laughs> of the story, uh, of my birth, birth story, uh, the full story of, of that, and, and Sylvia's story as well. Okay, so where could people buy, this, buy your book once it comes out? Well, um, Palmetto will um, put that information out there. I'm sure it will be available um, through Amazon and probably Barnes and Noble as well. Uh, I hope First Presbyterian Church will have it in their vineyard, but I haven't asked them yet. <laughs> I wasn't <laughs> expecting to talk about this today, <laughs> but um, it will it will be there. It will be available before the end of the year. I feel certain. Okay. Well, you'll have to let us know so that we can let everyone else know because once they hear this podcast they will probably want to know more about that and be able to have access to that. So let us know so we can share it. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Perfect. All right, guys, we just wanted to bring that part of the story back to you. Thank you. (laughs) All right, friends. Thanks so much for joining us on the beat goes on today. We hope we've given you some things to think about. If you are interested in helping the pro-life work at Piedmont women's center, here are three quick and easy ways you can do that. Leave a five-star review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Take a screenshot and share the podcast with your friends on social media. Remember to tag us if you do. Or you can visit PiedmontWomenCenter.org to make a one-time or monthly donation. You make our pro-life work possible. Until next time.